Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Practicing Mind Podcast with Tom Sterner. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Practicing Mind, What I Learned from Coaching Podcast. I'm glad you're here. As always, I want to remind you that even though here at the Practicing Mind Institute, we have quite a few show ideas in the queue, I really like having the content of the show driven by your questions. So you can get those questions to me by just emailing asktom at tomsterner.com. That's A-S-K-T-O-M at tomsterner.com. And I should mention that, of course, I'm not going to include any names with the questions so you don't have to worry about someone you know saying, geez, I can't believe you actually asked that. Also, while I have your ear, I just want to let you know that my new website is up. That's right, the new tomsterner.com is live. So I hope you will take a moment and check it out. And if you're feeling that I might be someone you'd like to talk to one-on-one, well, that's where you can make it happen. I've got some great opportunities that will be coming your way over the summer, and I'll tell you a little bit more about them at the end of the show. Speaking about the show, today's show is about the concept of process, not product. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Okay, let's get things started. The concept of process, not product. So what do I mean by that? Well, when you are process-oriented, your attention is absorbed in the experience of achieving your goal, and it's not attached to the moment that the goal is achieved. So you're aware of the goal. You have to be. An archer needs a target. He or she needs to know where to aim their energy, which in that case is the bullseye. Otherwise, you're basically just drawing the bow and letting the arrow fly. There's no purpose and no payoff. Now, functioning in this manner is what I'm going to call present moment functioning. And I think you need to understand that it's a skill. That's all it is. And because it's a skill, if you repeat the correct mechanics, you master it. And then it becomes more of the natural way that you approach learning any task or accomplishing any task. Now, it might be a skill, but I think it's one that's difficult to work on in our culture for two reasons. Number one, because we put so much emphasis on the goal being reached. Productivity for us is measured by how many goals we have accomplished and also how quickly we accomplish them. Number two is because I don't think we're real comfortable with anything that is endless in nature. And what I mean by that is we like, in fact, we need a sense of closure because we all have way too much to do in a day. We want to feel like we are checking things off of a list and removing them. The idea of living in a state of mind where your focus is detached from the moment of relief that you get when something is completed feels really uncomfortable and even exhausting. However, in truth, the experience is quite the opposite. When we are attached to the moment that we acquire something or to the moment something is completed or achieved, What we actually do is we put ourselves at war with the process of achieving it. Now, we must go through the process, and yet we create a state of mind where we resist it. And we create a mindset that says, I'm here, but I want to be there, and I have to endure the space and time in between. Well, that's when impatience is born. But if you can shift your point of focus into the present moment and into the experience of the process of achieving the goal, then in every moment that you're working towards your goal, you are successful. 
And what's interesting about it is that you feel complete. We operate in a sense of feeling incomplete most of our life. Like, I'm not happy right now inside. I need something that's outside of me. And this is something where being in the present moment really shines because it dissolves that feeling. We know that when you master present moment functioning, you will operate at your highest potential. And yet, ironically, it feels effortless and struggle-free. Now, there's so much I could say about this, but let's just touch on a few points in this episode. One of the things that present moment functioning, or what I will call PMF, does for you is it gives you an escape from stress. The reason for this is because you give yourself permission to be right where you are in this moment. If you are doing that, then you are fulfilling the task that you have given yourself. What that does is it gives you a feeling of being complete, of being productive, and most importantly, of being in control. You are aware of the goal, but it's not serving to remind you of what you have yet to do. It's just serving as a rudder to steer your present moment effort, just like the bullseye for the archer. The future drops away, the past drops away, and there is only this moment. Now that alone is a game changer because it's not about how fast you work or how much you accomplish in this moment. What it's really about is freeing yourself from the feeling that you should be someplace else and about judging your progress. Again, this would be of limited use if your performance degraded in the effort of accomplishing this. But in reality, your performance increases, the quality of your work increases, you move faster, and I think maybe most important is you don't feel like you're struggling. That feeling just goes away, and you experience, I guess the best way to describe it is a a feeling of inner contentment. And wouldn't that be welcome? It's very liberating because you're only thinking about one thing at a time. Compulsive thinking drops away and your thoughts actually thin out. So your mind begins to quiet down and you have access to all of your cognitive abilities because your mind isn't background tasking. It's completely absorbed in what you're doing right here and right now in this moment. Now, interestingly enough, I have taught high school kids how to meditate. And what's really fascinating is to watch them in a two-minute exercise to try to stop thinking. What happens is, is they come out of it, and it's the first time in their life, for most of them, that they realize that their mind thinks without their permission. You know, I talk to them about this, and I, I ask them, who's really in charge? Because you're telling your mind, and you're willing your mind to stop thinking, And your mind is saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to think anyway. When they realize this, through this exercise, they begin to experience just a very brief period of less thinking, less compulsive thinking, less mind activity. And it's so inviting to them that they want to learn more and they want to take on a practice of meditation. And meditation is very integral in teaching you how to be in the present moment and teaching you how to work in the present moment. Now, this is a very different place than where we usually spend our day and how we normally function. You know, we live in a world where we are constantly pushed to produce more in less time, even though that not only is detrimental to our health, but it also impacts our clarity and our ability to focus, our decision-making, and ultimately the quality of whatever it is that we're trying to produce. So how do I know that 
this actually impacts your performance, etc., everything I've said. Well, mindfulness, present moment functioning, whatever you want to call it, has been thoroughly researched and documented in regards to performance enhancement in sports. In so much of the sporting world, I think that we have peaked in our understanding of the physical realm. I mean, we understand nutrition. We understand how to tune the body to the highest level of performance. And we've also realized that the final frontier in performance is the mind, because everything happens in the mind first. The outside, the physical performance is always at the end of the train. If you just look at golf, we know what a perfect golf swing looks like. We can put sensors on a golfer, we can videotape them, and we can compare their swing to a perfect golf swing. We can teach them to execute a perfect golf swing. So why can't the golfer execute the mechanics every time? Because the mind is where the golf swing is created. The physical swing, again, is just at the end of the train. It's the outward expression of what has already happened. And because we understand this, and there is so much money at stake, an enormous amount of energy has gone into research to figure out how to maximize someone's potential mentally. And what we know, what is irrefutable, is what I've said before, and that is when you're functioning in the present moment, when you are process-oriented in whatever it is that you're doing, you are functioning at your highest level. Now, this wisdom has been around for thousands of years. It's just that we have proved it through empirical science, which seems to make us all feel more comfortable with it. Ironically, we still work under the illusion that being attached to the goal, being attached to the moment we achieve the goal, is the way to happiness and prosperity, even though that has been disproved in our own lives over and over again. Now, Back in the late 1970s, when I had first gotten into piano technology as a business, I was asked to do outside service work for one of the larger piano retail stores in the area. And they had just committed to carrying a Japanese piano that, though it was very highly regarded around the world, as far as the United States went, it was pretty unknown. And the difficulty in selling this piano initially was that no one had ever heard of it. I mean, I had been a musician since childhood, and I'd never heard of it. So the owner of the business told me one day that he had traveled to Japan to tour the factory before agreeing to carry the, that, this particular piano. Here's an example of present moment functioning that he shared with me that's a real paradigm buster in the world of business. When he was in the factory, he was touring one of the areas where they make the cast iron plates. Now, if you look inside of a grand piano, you see this big gold harp-shaped thing that in the piano industry we call a plate. Plates are cast iron, and when they come out of the casting, initially, they're pretty bad-looking. They have pits in them because it's, it's done with sand. It's not worth describing here. But the Japanese plates are actually as beautiful as they get. They look like glass. So this piano retailer asked the Japanese worker how many plates that he had to complete in a day. And the worker replied, as many as I can make perfect. So then the piano retailer said, well, don't you have a supervisor? Because he's thinking like, well, suppose this guy's loafing or it's taking, he's taking too long on one particular plate to make it, quote, perfect. And the Japanese worker said, well, what is a supervisor? The retailer said, well, you know, someone who makes sure that you're doing your job. And the, the Japanese worker said, well, why would I need that? This is my job. So the point is that 
what was expected out of this worker was that he would be in the present and in the process of what he was doing and that he would do everything as perfectly as he could, however long that took, was acceptable by the company. The Japanese pianos were extremely successful, and they actually all but put the American piano manufacturers out of business. By the late 1980s, the few American piano manufacturers that had been around for 100 years were all but gone. So the present moment functioning, which was the default mindset for the Japanese at the time in all of their production facilities, produced much higher quality goods, and their employees were in a totally different state of mind emotionally than the American employees who were constantly being squeezed to produce more products in less time. Now, I should say that they did accomplish this, but even an uneducated consumer could open up an American piano and a Japanese piano side by side and see the difference in quality, and they were willing to pay the difference in the price. So what did the American corporations actually accomplish in that besides putting themselves out of business? Another quick example that I have cited many times was from a story I read about an Olympic archery coach in the late 1970s. I used to be very active in target archery, and I found the whole mindset of its very present moment, or it is now anyway, at least uh, it, it always was in the East, and now it's become that way worldwide. In this particular article, it was an interview with an American Olympic archery coach, and he was discussing the frustration that he was having with his archers. Because at the time, the Asian archers were just kicking the daylights out of the Americans and pretty much all of the Western competitors. And what this coach had realized was the difference in their focal point. And what I mean by that was the Americans had been raised very goal-oriented, not process-oriented. So their position was to focus on how many bullseyes they got because that would determine whether they won or not. So when they drew the bow, it was almost like a nuisance that they had to go through so they could let the arrow go and see if they got a bullseye. Whereas the Asian archer's focal point was the process of drawing the bow. The bullseye was just basically the rudder where they were aiming their energy at. So their focus was on the process, and by doing that, their release was perfect, and the target, the bullseye, just got in the way. So if you look at that once again, it seemed counterproductive to the Americans uh, and the Western competitors in general because the whole point of the competition was the goal, and the goal was to win, and you won by getting more bullseyes. By focusing on the process, that seemed like you were putting that aside to focus on a mechanical process that you had to more or less endure to see if you got a bullseye. It sounds really silly now, knowing what we know in peak performance studies and research, but that is the paradigm that we used to function under. So I would leave you with this, that understand that in the West, we are taught from childhood that the goal or the product is the focal point, and that's where your attention should be. I mean, you know, we don't get paid until the task is completed. But the problem with this mentality, besides the performance and quality issues, is it creates a sense of unhappiness because, in reality, we live between our goals. That's where we spend our time. 
you know, we realize the goal, and then what do we do? Well, we immediately replace it with a new one. So this is a part of what makes the human spirit so unique and, and actually pretty amazing. It's the reason that we have accomplished so many incredible things in the developments of art and music and technology and in so many other areas of life. We forget that it's the process of achieving the goals that is really where the joy is. So if I take a piece of chalk and I draw a finish line on the street and I say, okay, there it is, there's the finish line, go ahead and step over it. The experience is empty. Why? Because we have removed everything that led up to the finish line, and that's what creates the sense of fulfillment and the sense of accomplishment. The process is where the joy comes from, and we need to recognize this truth and stop misusing our goals. Again, interpreting the process differently and being process-oriented, it's just a skill, and it's one that you can learn regardless of your age or your background. Well, that's today's episode, but before we wrap this up, let me tell you a little about what we have in the pipeline. I'm working on the third book that will be the end of the trilogy, which started with The Practicing Mind and then Fully Engaged. It's been almost six years since Fully Engaged was published, and I have spent a lot of hours researching neuroscience and heart math and hypnosis and other aspects about how our mind and our brain interact with each other. And I have to say that what I've learned has been a huge help to me, and I'd like to share it. It feels like a natural progression to the other two books, and I'll talk more about that in subsequent episodes. Some opportunities that will be coming your way as a listener are an online video course to help you integrate everything that we talk about here on the podcast into your life. And the information in that course will be pulled from the many presentations that I've done for corporations over the years, and it will be available through my website and hosted on teachable.com. Another opportunity that we're working on will be some type of mastermind, and we're really not sure at this point whether this is going to be delivered in the form of a 21-day challenge or a five-week meetup on Zoom where you and I and a small group will work together through a curriculum based on all of my work. So stay tuned, and I'll keep you updated at the end of the episodes. So until next time, give yourself a present. Learn to live in the present moment.